Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. So I'll just give you a second to find that. Page 10 of your black book. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I'm just going to pray. Father God, we thank you so much um, for your word and for each other and for Johnny, and we pray that you would be with him and with us by your Holy Spirit now, and we pray that you'd help us to listen with open hearts and to take what you have to say to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. There's this insult that I think it seems only really clever people use, and you might have heard it sometimes, and it goes like this, it goes, you're on the wrong side of history. So someone shares a belief or an opinion or does something, that's, um, does something uh, uh, that someone in, who is usually in a position of power or, or influence or is fairly smart doesn't agree with or they think it's outdated or, or it's wrong, and they say to them, you're on the wrong side of history. In recent years, it's been used more and more about Christians. Maybe some people have said it to you at times in conversations or whatever, or at least you've been given that kind of impression by them. And certainly it can feel today, can't it, like Christians are being left behind morally and ethically. We're not moving with the changing times, and so soon we'll be left to the ash heap of history. Now that's an interesting one, because of course it's too early to say who is on the right and the wrong side of history, isn't it? That's only something that you can say, really, from the end of history. And so time will tell. Don't be too hasty in making those claims. But even the idea that there is a right and a wrong side of history, and that as time passes, the world is... is I want to just drop the level a bit, guys. Okay. The, the world is, is, is heading somewhere good, is progressing, and that the future is going to be better than the past. Well, that's an idea that comes straight out of... Christianity, really. And in large part, much of that perspective comes out of the book of Revelation, which is the last book that we have in the Bible. And so over the next few months, we're going to see what the book of Revelation teaches us about history, how to understand it, and how to live well in it. And what God gives us in this final book of our Bible is is a vision. It's a revelation. And you might ask, well, what is it that is revealed here. Anyone who knows anything of the book might start thinking of like the horses of the apocalypse or or secret codes to decipher to work out when the world's going to end and how it's going to end and crazy visions with dragons and beasts and all of this kind of stuff. And you kind of think, well, I don't really know what's being revealed by all of that. It just all seems a little bit out there and crazy and very obscure. Well, do you see what Bryony just read? In Revelation 1, verse 1, it is crystal clear what is being revealed for all of the activity, for all that's going on, for all of the, the different visions and stuff that we see, there's really just one thing that we need to see and it has been shown. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ. It's not only the revelation from Jesus Christ, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ or the revelation about him. He is, of the book of Revelation, he's the center, he's the main point, he's the hero, he's the main actor. All the way through, every scene, it centers on him. 
And so in Revelation, we have the, the unveiling of this truth, this reality about Jesus. It's like the curtain is pulling back, being pulled back, so we can see what we otherwise couldn't see and know about Jesus Christ. And as we will see as we go through, what is revealed about Jesus is absolutely mind-blowing. It doesn't show us what we so often think of when we think of Jesus. You know, so often we kind of get this visual image of this slightly hippie first century religious teacher kind of walking around in flowing robes, talking about love and turning the other cheek. You know, this nice guy who's pretty misunderstood, has a sad ending to his life. And that's pretty much what we think of Jesus very often, isn't it? Well, Jesus in Revelation is more like this kind of, this mashup of these Avengers superheroes. Just you kind of bring them all together and put them into one. He's got the power of Thor. He's got the mind of Professor X. He's got Doctor Strange's teleportation skills. He's got Wolverine's healing power. He's got the wealth of Iron Man. And you could go on and on and on. And you just put all this stuff together and you get this, this person of Jesus that is revealed. And yet at the same time, in the vision that is at the very heart of this book, it's beating heart. We see Jesus as a lamb that has been killed, just a slain lamb. Actually, John, John says it in verse 2, which Bryony just, just read. This, this revelation shows us the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That means he, it, it shows us the story of Jesus. Jesus' story is being revealed. So you could say, if you want to use church speak, this is all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's now doing, and what he is one day going to do. This is Jesus from start to finish. It is his eternal divine nature that we get to see. It is his power that we encounter. It is his salvation that is on display. It is his reign and rule that becomes apparent through the book. It is his death on the cross that is central. It is his church that he possesses. It is his love for his people that most matters. It is his history. It is his righteous anger that is revealed through history. It is his final victory over his enemies. Bride who he purifies and betroths himself to. It is his world, some kind of puzzle book, where we've got to piece stuff together and work out clues and, and, and all of this kind of stuff. But it's a picture book. And the picture that it shows, the main picture is crystal clear. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, his glory and his beauty. And nothing else compares when we see him. So what we're going to do over and over through these coming months as we work through this book is we're going to do what we seek to do every week actually at this church is we're going to just look at Christ, preach Christ, see him revealed and we're going to look at him and we're going to stare at him and we're just going to drink it in. Jesus is going to be shown to us. The guy who gets to see all this in the first instance is a guy called John. He, was, uh, he kind of had this front row seat to these visions, and he scribbles it down for us, which is what we, what we read in Revelation. John was Jesus' best friend when Jesus was hanging out around uh, Israel in the first century. And here he is about 50 or so years later, an older man, uh, and he gets this incredible new insight into his old friend that he knows so well. But you see, this vision isn't just for John, but it is intended for us, verse 1. It says it is given to John for the servants of Jesus to show his servants what must soon take place. If you're a Christian, that's you. You're a servant of Jesus. So this revelation is kind of one of the only parts in the Bible that says it's directly given for you here today. And the funny thing is, 
this is God's gift to us, and yet as Christians, we don't know what to do with it. We kind of tend to fall into to two camps. Uh, on one extreme, some Christians become so overly obsessed with this book of Revelation that it becomes basically the only part of the Bible that they read. Uh, and so they kind of receive this gift from God, but they don't, they don't know how to use it because it gets so out of whack with everything else and they kind of overfocus on it. Probably the, most of us have the opposite problem. We're so scared of Revelation that it becomes the only part of the Bible that we don't read. And so we don't ever receive the gift uh, from God that it is, that was entrusted to John for us. It, it would be a bit like, if we do that, it's a bit like having this great novel that you read all the way through and you're gripped by the story and you love it and, and it's really coming towards the end and then you get to the last chapter and you're like, nah, I'm not going to bother with that, just put it down. I'm done. Not interested. Well, that, we, we don't want to be like that. So this term, we want to receive this gift and benefit from this gift of God and we want to receive it with wisdom and discernment. So as we kind of, I guess, as, as we start to think about what it means for us and what its message is and, and how it serves and helps us, I just want to mention two, really, um, two tips, really, super simple tips that are going to help keep our feet on the ground as we, as we walk through this, this book and keep us on point. And they're, they're two really simple things that actually, most of the time we do kind of automatically without thinking about it, when, uh, whenever we're engaging with a text or a media, we're watching a film or reading something or on a website, we're kind of automatically doing these things. I just want to mention them so we do them on purpose as we read, uh, as we, as, as we read Revelation. And they're about uh, genre and context. Genre is just a big word for um, the style of writing that is used here. The style of writing that Revelation is. And, uh, and uh, as I said, most of the time we just do it. So if you read Harry Potter, you kind of know you're reading a story that's been made up. You're not going to take everything really seriously, but you're to enjoy it and get engrossed in the story and, and read it through. And you read that quite differently to how you read your favorite magazine which might give you, um, I don't know, if you're Toby, or tell you how to be a better fisher or something, or um, I don't know, someone else might read something about computing or something, and you're learning information and, and, that, and that kind of stuff. Well, we need to be aware of what we're reading. And Revelation is a bit, it's a bit cheeky because it's basically a mix of three different genres. Three different styles of writing are kind of mixed in together, which makes it uh, a, 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 little, a little bit tricky sometimes, a bit confusing. The, the, the three types of writing are this. The first one is apocalyptic. So when it says the revelation from Jesus Christ, it could say the apocalypse from Jesus Christ. Uh, apo- apocalypse just means unveiling or, or revealing of truth, of reality. But it has this w- particular style of doing that. Uh, and the style is through these kind of quite crazy visions and imagery and pictures that, ult- uh, that reveal the ultimate reality of the world. So it's a bit like you're walking through an art gallery and you're looking at different pieces of artwork or different pictures and, um, and they're kind of giving you a different perspective on the world. Revelation is like a series of visions and pictures that you can look at and appreciate different things. Now it can be a bit overwhelming at first, but the, the Old Testament is like our tour guide through that art gallery, pointing out things and showing us the meaning of things and, and, and helping us to understand things well and, and helping us to pay attention to the right things and not the wrong things and understand what the artist is saying. If you think of it like, um, like sci-fi, some of you will be into sci-fi fiction and, and films and stuff. And it's, I'm not particularly, so I, I haven't got a clue half the time. It's very complex and intricate, isn't it, with everything going on. And so the casual observer like me can struggle to keep up. But even I can watch a Star Wars film and get the basic gist of what's going on. It's kind of obvious that the light side are good and the dark side are bad, right? 
And you know, when you hear the infamous kind of um, Darth Vader tune, you kind of know that bad stuff's happening and evil is around. It just kind of conveys it, doesn't it, in, in, in the imagery. And so apocalyptic is very similar to that. Revelation is similar. You don't need to know the significance of every single little color or every number or, or exactly what a plague of locusts represents to know that a dragon is likely to be bad and an innocent baby is probably good. And, and, and a beautiful bride is to be delighted in and, and an unfaithful whore is to be detested. It kind of, the, the pictures are actually quite obvious. You see the big idea very quickly. Now, as we move through and we navigate this apocalyptic, we'll, we'll look at some more of that and, and, and get some more tips on the way. But it's apocalyptic. Secondly, it's prophecy. John says it there in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, prophecy is quite simply prediction and warning of what is yet to unfold through history. It's a revealing of what is coming. So, Revelation has this future-looking element. I mean, to remember that, there are points it's looking to the future, particularly towards the end. But it's less concerned when it looks to the future and giving us precise dates and precise kind of predictions of things and encouraging us to use it like a textbook to crack the code of history. But no, as it looks to the future, it's teaching us how to live in history. It's teaching us how to live in light of what God is going to do. That's the way it is prophecy for us. And the third type of writing it is, which tragically we so often miss, and yet it's so helpful, is that it's a letter. Look at verse 4. John starts to address it as a letter, and at the very end of the book, he closes it out as a letter. It's a letter from John to seven churches that existed towards the end of the first century in the province of Asia under the Roman Empire. It's also a letter from John to the church throughout the ages and across the world. And as with any letter, it has a purpose. There's a reason it's been written. And it's there to exhort and encourage these Christians to stay faithful to Christ, to live godly lives, whatever comes, that persevere to the end. It's a pastoral letter. So we're going to explore this more as we go through. And, and, and as we understand what it says and how it helps the Christians in the first century, as a letter written to them, we'll get to see how it helps us as Christians in the 21st century. And that it's a letter written to us. So genre, apocalyptic prophecy letter. I'm sorry, this is all a little bit technical, but it will help us as we go through. Second thing, very briefly, is context. That just means we need to understand what was going on when it was written, why it was being written, what the situation was around it. And it's really easy because John tells us, we'll see as we go through, and it's a very well-documented history. This is now the second generation of Christians, basically, towards the end of the first century in the Roman Empire. And the Christians at first had had a really hard time from the Jewish authorities, and now more recently at this time, they've started having a hard time from the Roman authorities. Uh, uh, the emperors had developed a, a liking for feeding Christians to the lions in the Colosseum and, and, and putting Christian businesses out of, uh, businessmen out of business and, and different things like that, and just generally making life hard for Christians. And, and so Christians are thinking they might be at risk of getting wiped out. Is Christianity just going to be a blip in the first century and it's gone to the world forever? And John himself, as he writes this, he's a leader in the church and he's been sent away because of that to Patmos. He's in exile, he tells us in verse 9 of chapter 1. And so you've got Rome in, with one hand is like pummeling Christians, kind of bit, literally physically beating them up and in all sorts of other ways, giving them a hard time. And yet, with the other hand, it's trying to draw them in. 
So when they're not beating you up or, or um, killing your husband, they're wooing you to become just like them. The Roman world was really alluring to Christians and trying to draw them into Roman culture and life and beliefs. Tempting Christians away from faithfulness to Christ. Just become like us and be like us and go, go with the flow around you. Just follow the ways of the world. So if you wanted to get a business deal through, then if you got involved in the imperial cult of Caesar, you could start to make business contacts and start to go places. Just leave, don't worry about Jesus being Lord. Leave that behind for a bit. You can get ahead in the world if you, if you just buy into what's going on around. You know, that has a real ring, doesn't it, of what 21st century Birmingham is just like. I know many of you pray, face the pressure in the staff room to not say certain things or to say certain things. And it, and it can feel like this relentless, oppressive pressure. And then you're, you're at Friday drinks after work at the end of the week. And then there's the, the temptation and the encouragement just to have another drink and just to, you know, just to chill out and, and just be like us for a while. Or, or, or in, in sexual ethics, Christian sexual ethics are widely disparaged and dismissed as repressive. And yet at the same time, Christians all over the place are being tempted to sexual practices that don't line up with our ethics. In one sense, we're being, we're being hit and oppressed. In another sense, we're being drawn into the way of the world. Direct opposition combined with subtle seduction. And Revelation has a timely message for us as Christians, about how we live in this day and age. And what is that message? Well, verse 1 again just gives us the headline. This message is to show his servants what must soon take place. Revelation is going to explain history to us and give it meaning. It's to help us understand what is going on and what is to come. You see, it's not just that we see Jesus in Revelation. We've already said that very clearly. But it's that by Jesus, we see everything else. You know, it's like the sun. You can look up and see the sun sometimes in this country, can't you? And you can see it. But it's also true, but it's only by the sun that we see anything else in the world. Or so too with Jesus. He becomes the lens through which we look at and understand all of history. See, Revelation is history according to Jesus. And we are to understand that history belongs to him. It's not just a record of events that have happened in the past, though it is. It's not just a projection of events yet to happen in the future, at the end of the world as we know it, though it is. If it was just those two things, it would limit its relevance to just a particular group of people. No, but for us, most pertinently, Revelation is a record of history as we live and as we experience it. It is, it is a, a revelation of history as we experience it now. And the point of it is not to obsess over the end times or the end of the world or look to the skies to work out what's going on, but it's to know how to look out into the world around us and to live as Jesus' people. So the main thing Revelation shows us is Jesus. The main thing that it is about are the events of history, mainly between the first and the second comings of Jesus. And the final one basic but really testing thing it encourages us to do. It's about Jesus. Sorry, it shows Jesus. It's about history. And there's one thing that we're to do. It's basic but it's hard. And that's to live faithfully for the coming king. Live faithfully for the coming king. This is the whole point of the book. This is what difference it makes. It helps Christians live faithfully for Jesus to live for him, come what may, to live with wisdom and to play the long game. 
that the clue is here in verse 3. John writes that blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and who take it to heart. Blessing awaits us this term. As we work through Revelation, blessing awaits you, those of you who will stand up here and read the words of this prophecy to us. Blessing awaits us because the time is near. The time was near for the Christians when John first wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. The time is near for us today. This is less about when something happens, but the thing that is going to happen and its importance. There is something so significant that is happening and that will happen that the time is always near and we are to live in light of it. This is something so big. This is something so important. This is something so significant. This is something of such ultimate reality that we need to stand up and listen. Your ears should be perking up. It doesn't matter when. What is really a big deal is that it will happen. And so it throws a whole light over history and it gives us an urgency and an importance to this message of revelation. You're asking, what is it? What is this thing that's going to take place that must soon happen that is of such significance? It is the second coming of Jesus Christ. His coming back to earth once more to establish God's kingdom on earth. And it is this event combined with his life and his death and his resurrection that throws a light over all of history from the end back. And it is this event that is most pertinent and most relevant to your life now. It is the thing that will make all sense of history. It is where everything is heading and where all things will be wrapped up. And it is the glorious and sure expectation of that that runs through this whole book and culminates at the end of the book with John's prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. History is heading somewhere. Our culture's got that right. And it's heading to the glorious reign of Jesus over all things. It's heading to the glorious reign of Jesus over all things. Listen, thanks for bearing with me. I'm just, just going to close with this thought as, as we look at the second coming of Christ in this book of Revelation and all that comes with it. It's not just throwing a light over history but it's to throw a light over our own lives. And it's to throw a light over every moment and every day of our lives that they would be lived in light of that coming reality. Yes, Revelation is all about Jesus. And the thing it encourages us to do is to live faithfully for the coming King. If you're here today and you're not identifying as a Christian... And that raises a very real question for you of how you are responding to Jesus in your life today and whether that stands you in good stead for his return. That return is promised here and is one thing that we will one day all face. If you're here today as a Christian then, and, and you feel the opposition, opposition of the world around you and you struggle with the seduction of the world drawing you in to become just more like it, then you need to see that it's only in seeing the greater glory of Jesus and by faith looking forward to his coming, that you can live faithfully, that you can stay the course and endure to the end. It is hard. Any of us who have done it for more than a day know that, and it is going to be hard, but the time is near, and he will have the victory in the end.
This is the heavenly perspective on the world revealed to us through Revelation. Listen, it, it reassures us as servants of Christ, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it so often feels like, maybe no matter how it is even going for you today, we are blessed because we are Jesus' people. And in the end, we will see that he alone is, will, will conquer. He alone will win. And therefore, being with him is the only place to be on the right side of history in the end. And we've got it all to come when he comes and sets up his kingdom. Let's pray and then we're going to sing to our King Jesus together. Jesus, we, we worship and praise you, the one who is revealed and shown to us in Revelation. We pray that this term, as we see you, as we learn more of you, as we stare at you, as we see history from your perspective, would you help us to be faithful to you? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you increase the vibrancy of our lives? Would you draw people to faith in you for the first time? Would you strengthen those who already have faith in you? And would you be glorified for all of history is heading to a day when you are glorified and, and you are seen for what you are. We pray that you may have that in our lives now and today. And in your name we pray it. Amen.